0: For the persecutor.
1: Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. We have special guests this week. Uh, it seems like we always have special guests, but uh, these are, are what we call here at VOM rock stars in the mission community, and it's great to have them. They are also among our first-name-only guests. We're not going to share their last name in order to protect them, but Dave and Pam are area leaders in the West and Central Asia region for Operation Mobilization. That includes places like Iran and India and Pakistan and Bangladesh. We're going to talk about that. Dave and Pam, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
2: Thank, Thank you, you so much. Privilege to be, here. To be I, here.
1: I want to go back to the beginning as we start, because at some point you felt the call of God to go and share the gospel. How did that come about? What's your story of coming into the world of missions and, and going into all the world?
3: For me, I grew up in Wisconsin on a farm, and I had an uncle on my mom's side of the family, and he and his wife were missionaries. So it was like an overshadowing onto our family. And I come from a huge family network. And so when I gave my life to Christ, I had a desire to become a missionary because I'd watched my uncle's life. But then later on, when I was about nine years old, I saw a movie called The African Queen. And I thought, oh, she's a missionary. He's an alcoholic, and in the end, you know, it was a love story as well, but her and her brother were helping people that were needing help in the jungles of Africa, and at that time, I thought, hmm, one of my cousins who was babysitting me and my other sisters, she goes, oh, when I get older, I'm going to become a missionary, I go, me too, so when I gave my life to Christ, that desire came back, and so I had no idea what I meant. So even
1: as a nine-year-old, you were thinking, this is what I'm doing.
2: Mm -hmm. But then I
3: swayed, and then I (laughs) came back to Christ, and and I started out on that route and went to college, and that's where I met Dave.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I grew up on the other side of the country, just outside New York City, was 18 before I ever met a Christian, and I was hitchhiking back on a Sunday morning when a high school teacher picked me up and started to share the gospel, took me to a little inner-city church, Uh, Little did I know, behind the scenes, I had a praying grandmother during that time, who was praying that that God would touch my life. Not only that, she prayed that I would become a missionary. And I I thought later, she didn't even ask my permission for that. (laughs) She so you know here I am, 18. I've come to faith in Jesus. My life has turned around. I'm part of my local church, just wanting to be a disciple. And I understood if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a witness. And Acts 1-8 is a part of everybody's lifestyle. Everybody's called to be a missionary. It doesn't matter if you're a student or worker or whatever. So I was literally on the streets sometimes in New York City and around the New Jersey area and passing out literature. And in fact, in my college campus, I used to take garbage bags full of tracts, and I would just pass them out to all the students. And I I became, of course, aware that so many people had already heard the gospel. And this question began to grow inside of me are there places where Christ is not known? And all I can say is the Holy Spirit put that in me because that kept growing and growing and growing until such a burden came that I thought, I just can't continue. I've got to do something. So um, I had a friend who told me about a place called Bethany College of Missions up in Minneapolis that was focused on that. So I I wrote to them and said, can I come? Uh, But before I did, I thought, I need to go and see what missions is like. And I thought... My my church actually was, forgive me, a little ignorant. They they said basically, the whole world's evangelized. You don't need to go anywhere. And I thought, well, I, I think the Amazon still needs missionaries. So <laughs> So I literally saved my money. I wrote to some pastors down in Manaus in the middle of the Amazon and said, can I come and visit you? So they said, sure, you can come. Here I am, 21 years old, went down there, spent a month up in the jungle, rivers, traveling around there. And I have to be honest, when I was done, I was like, I don't think I can do this. This is the mosquitoes were killing me and eating me. But when I was finishing, the, this pastor who is overseeing about a thousand churches said, you know, so wh- why did you come here? And I said, well, I feel God calling me to unreached peoples. And he said, well, then don't come here. We have so many churches and so many people getting <laughs> saved. But he said, I've traveled around the world twice. I tell you where you should go. It's India. It's that part of the world. So God used that really to start pointing me to Asia, and that became the Hindu world and the, and the Muslim world. But really it was this sense of we should all be involved and send me to those places where Christ isn't known. There is
1: still a need, a great need for people like you did who say, Lord, I'm willing. I want to go. Uh, this, the stat you shared yesterday in our chapel service, 920 million Muslims in in just the part of the world where you're working, just West and Central Asia, but so few workers. How do, What needs to happen to get more workers into those white harvest fields?
2: I mean, it's a great question. I, I look back when we started, which is almost 40 years ago. And at that time, we used to say there was the missionaries to the Muslim world were literally one in a million. And that, that was kind of the statistics. <laughs> uh, so I guess if we say there's three for every million, now we've made progress. And yet, you know, I, I look back, it's been a missiological issue. Forty years ago, I remember people saying, just go where the you see the harvest. Just go where you see the, the response. These other places seem, just seem too hard. But... I think it was Charles Marsh who wrote a book called Too Hard for God. And and he was challenging everyone around the world back then. Hey, you know, this is not too hard for God. We should be going. Paul said, my aim is to go where Christ has not yet been preached. So I, I think that some of it's a shift to say, hey, we need to make that still our priority. Um, it's Acts 1-8 is still the uttermost part of the earth. I, I also think a shift, you know— that's, and I appreciate Voice of the Martyrs already has this, but a better theology of suffering, a better theology of danger. You know, Paul said, my aim is to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. So there's there's some—that uh, the, part of understanding discipleship I, needs to continue to be changed, that we would accept that, yeah, that is going to be part of the prices. We want to go to those places— and it's not, should, is the risk too great? It should be, guys, there's, there's risks we can't afford not to take. We've got to be willing to go to, to those places.
3: I think uh, as I'm reflecting as he's talking, and I'm reflecting on my life too, I think it's important that people have a sense of adventure as well. Yes, we want to obey God and do what he wants us to do, but that's even here you know, go to the neighbor next door and say hello. You don't have to preach the gospel like right away. It's just being kind, showing kindness, smiling, maybe take a plate of cookies over to somebody. But when you go across the ocean or across the land to another part of the world, I think that sense of adventure needs to be there. And of course, now today with coronavirus, it's a lot of lockdown here and there with the borders being closed. So The church needs to get involved in very creative ways and trying to break out of our comfort zones. Uh, I think a sense of adventure is important and it needs to be instilled in people, not just being safe.
2: Another thing for me is that we somehow have allowed the news media or the world of this information age to dehumanize people. And so they... Muslim world is not people Jesus loves and made in the image of God. They're like the enemies. And and I think that, that somehow we have to let the, the the theology we have up here and our heads get into our hearts more. And one of my friends said, Islam should stand for I should love all Muslims. You mm-hmm. and, uh, know, and, and God help us to see people your with your eyes and not let bias or prejudice or things that can Affect us in ways we don't even know and make us afraid. Perfect love, cast out fear. Lord, help us, grip us with that, That get us past our, our fears, whatever they are, and see people the way you see them. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dave and Pam. They are active
1: with Operation Mobilization in Western and South Asia. Dave and Pam, one of the countries—and this ties into what you were just saying—one of the countries you spent a lot of time in is Iran— news media says Iran is our enemies, Iran hates America, all of these things. You've you've been there. I've heard that's not the case. <laughs> that, that that the Iranian people, the people you run into in the coffee shop and on the street, they actually are very friendly and very open. What what's been your experience with just the average run of the mill people in Iran?
3: Well, I would say I like to hike and we used to enjoy the mountains because a lot of Iran is mountainous. So when we would be up in the mountains hiking, we were also open to just becoming friends with people. You know, just acquaintance mm-hmm. type of hello, how are you, where are you from, so forth. But I found that people were so friendly and they were so happy that we were enjoying one of the sports that they like to do, hiking in their mountains. And we met so many people. And one time when we were hiking up this one mountain, I forget the name of it. But anyhow, we're going up the mountain. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice yelling from the mountainside. And it was my name, Pam, Pam. I was like, who knows me up here? (laughs) And I I wasn't sure because it was just a small group of us that were going up there. I didn't know anybody else as far as I knew. Lo and behold, the young girl that I saw coming down the mountainside that was yelling at me, she had just been in my house in America having soup before she returned to Iran. And then we followed behind. I forget how many days apart. And there she was. (laughs) And then I reminded her, you know, this is what God has done. He's just brought us together again. And just the friendliness and the openness to be able to just be ourselves there in the mountain was amazing. And I know her sister, and I know her brother-in-law and so forth. And I was just like, this is God that put this together today on this mountainside. So people are friendly.
2: Yes. Uh, My first trip into Iran was in January 2004 because of the BAM earthquake. And we were responding and sending staff down there to begin this disaster relief response, which is just overwhelming. I think thirty thousand people died and wow. twenty, thirty thousand people were wounded. So um, the the that government opened the doors and said, please come and help us. So but I was still nervous. It's my first trip in and I'm an American so I'm I'm just thinking, Lord, just help me to get in and out, okay. And I'm checking out of the hotel and the hotel manager looks at my passport and he looked up at me and he said, You're an American? I said, Yes and he said, look behind me. Do you see all the flags of the world we have there on the, on the um, pedestal? And I said, yes. And he said, do you see your flag there? And I said, no. Do you know why you don't see your flag there? And I'm thinking, what is this? a trick question. <laughs> and because um, you can imagine all the stories, the pictures of burning the flag and all that. I said, no, I, I don't know. And he looked at me and then he patted his heart put his hand on his heart, and he said, the flag's not there because it's still here in our hearts. It's never left. We're so happy to see you. Please tell everyone in America, we love America. We love Americans. We're waiting for you all to come back. And that has been our consistent experience all these years. Sometimes government officials even have dared to try to be friendly as well, although sometimes they got their hands slapped. But um, people on the streets, it's just been... Uh, overwhelming. I, I think somebody said, it was Time Magazine said, Iran has probably got the most pro-American general population in the world.
1: And certainly in that part of the world. Uh, I mean, no, nobody else is probably even close.
2: And the hospitality is is just famous in that part of the world. And the food, of course, is fabulous. And people just roll out the red carpet and, and welcome you into their homes. And um, yeah, it's, it's just amazing how God is at work in Iran at this point.
1: That sense of adventure that you talked about, Pam, I I think that's something. And, you know, for most Americans to even think about taking a tourist trip to Iran, (laughs) that requires a great sense of adventure. Uh, But as you say, once you're there, you are welcomed. You are uh, blessed by the hospitality and by the people there. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Dave and Pam. They work with Operation Mobilization, one of VOM's strategic partner ministries in West and Central Asia. Uh, Dave and Pam, one of the parts of your job that I think is really cool is raising up and training national church believers to go out, maybe to the next village, maybe to the next town, maybe to the next country, uh, talk a little bit about that, about raising up people within the context of the culture to then go and, and reach their neighbors.
2: I would say one of our key principles for the last 60 years in OM has been wherever we go, our strategy is 2 Timothy two, 2. Let's find faithful men and women who we can train, who can then train others. And that means national believers. So let's Pour our lives into those faithful people who who can take leadership, who can take the ministry forward. So that's always been uh, our part of our DNA. Um, Multicultural teams has also been a part of it. So I I think wherever possible we can, we still believe in that, that there's more that we have to add and learn from each other in different cultures and and that we can have a witness for Christ. What does it mean to be the body of Christ when you have different nationalities? But in the end, uh, many of these countries we're working in uh, for various reasons, it's just become more and more difficult for non-nationals from those countries, like in Bangladesh or Pakistan and India. Yeah, so we're working hard, and it's been very exciting to see the church take ownership and begin to, to see leadership from within these countries and uh, carry forward the fulfilling the task that God's given us to see churches planted, to see the gospel go out. And I think as, as Americans, we, we just need a little more humility to, to acknowledge, uh, yeah, we have resources, yeah, we have some things we know, but it really is, is a genuine partnership in the, as a body. And we just want to esteem and, and highly esteem the national workers uh, and indigenous leaders we were, have the privilege to serve.
3: And the other thing I found was that when I did Bible studies with people on the ground, and some of them weren't believers at first, and then they finally became believers, I always tried to instill in them the importance of sharing their faith with others. However they chose how to do that, that was up to them, because I didn't live in their home that they lived in. But we wanted to encourage them not to give in to fear. And so even for ourselves, when we lived in certain countries, we had to make sure we weren't giving in to fear. Because fear is a real factor that everybody faces when you're in regions like that where the government is not favorable towards Christians. But you don't want to give in to the fear.
1: So how do you overcome it? I Because I think there's fear in our culture, too. How do you overcome that fear and, and keep marching forward?
3: I would say for myself, and as I've also encouraged others, Fear is just, it's there like a roadblock. It's like a wall. And I've had to learn what's on the other side of that wall of fear is what I want. And I will climb over that wall or go through it, however it may look like. Let me say it that way. And so it's doing something that you know God wants you to do with courage. Even though fear might be on the side, you just keep pressing on to get over that wall to get to where you want to go. That's how I explained it.
2: I I think often that's true. We've struggled against fear for many, many years, and sometimes we we lived in Tajikistan for many years. And some people would ask me uh, because we were in a civil war for the first seven years. They'd say, "Well, does your wife ever ever want to leave and she want to go home?" I said, (laughs) "Guys, every week, you know." (laughs) <laughs> Every week. Not, this I miss the farm life. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I like what somebody else had said, that courage is not the absence of fear. It's just don't give into it. And sometimes it's just hanging in there a few more minutes. Don't, don't run. Don't just stand there and don't give into it.
3: Uh, one time I was very discouraged when we were living in Tajikistan. I don't know if the war was finished yet or if it was still on, the Civil War. And I was just complaining to the Lord, and I am said, I'm finished. I can't stand it here. I want to go home. I miss my family. And I had my kids with me, but I was missing my family of origin and relatives. And I was sitting in the car as Dave hopped out to go into the bazaar to get something. And I'm looking down the road, and all of a sudden I see this lady walking towards my car, And she was a lady that had become a believer in one of the Bible studies I was involved in. And she is smiling from ear to ear. And the Lord told me, this is why you're here. And I was like, okay, Lord, please forgive me.
1: (laughs) I'll stay. Yes,
3: But you know what I found is that I needed to be completely honest with the Lord about Mm -hmm. where I was at. Mm -hmm. And then he met me where I was at. He didn't condemn me. And I think it's important to bring everything out on the table beforehand, whether you say it or you write it out or whatever. And he met me and I said, "Okay, I'll stay like you said.
1: Amen. Do you find that it's easier for one of those national leaders who maybe came out of a Muslim background, maybe understood from the very first day they followed Christ, they understood this is going to be costly to me? do they have an easier time forming and accepting a theology of risk than maybe someone like me who's lived comfortably in America and and doesn't think about danger maybe as much?
3: I'm thinking of two people in particular right now from a Muslim background. When they were new in the faith, they had no fear. They were so excited and so amazed at the joy and the peace that they experienced accepting Christ that nothing could pop that balloon of peace and joy and all that comes with knowing Christ and forgiveness of sins. And then later on, this particular government put a lot of pressure on these people. And then their lives were threatened. And then some of their relatives had some difficulties. Then they were experiencing the fear like never before. Interesting. And then they kept pressing on, but they were becoming wise as serpents and harmless as doves like jesus says we should be
1: well i think that's encouraging to our listeners it's not a it's not an all or nothing it's not like hey i'm not i'm never afraid or i'm always afraid we all go through seasons of fear and seasons of okay i don't know what's going to happen so that's an encouragement for us who are some of these national leaders and i know you maybe can't name names or even name countries but who are some of them that, that have inspired you as you see their courage and as you see them saying, hey, we're marching forward? Who, who, what are some of the stories that have inspired you?
3: There's one lady in particular I'm thinking of. I, I can't name the country, but she's a singer. And when she came to Christ, it was a big change in her life because she was well-known. But to see her put her songs on the Internet and not be afraid. And she says, I don't care what they do to me. And to see her boldness, now she struggles like the rest of us, but to see her boldness to say, I'm getting the news out there and I'm going to do it with the gift that God gave me. She has a beautiful voice and she still allows her stuff to be on the Internet worldwide. People can see what she's singing about or who she's singing about. Wow. She inspires me. And she's a great cook, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Food. Food and fellowship go hand in hand. We've been hearing from Dave and Pam, their gospel workers, overseeing the work of Operation Mobilization in West and Central Asia. For their security, we're just using their first names. You know, I love hearing from people who have spent time in God's Word and in doing God's work. Dave and Pam have so much godly wisdom to share. They've been giving us insight we can use right in our neighborhoods. And I believe that there are some in our audience who are going to be called even beyond their neighborhoods to the hard places, the same way that Dave and Pam have been called. Maybe you know someone who has a heart for the gospel and a heart for the world. I hope you'll share today's episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio Dave and Pam had so much to share. We couldn't fit it all into one episode. So next week, they're going to be back to share more of what God is doing in Western and Central Asia. I hope you'll be back as well to hear the rest of our conversation right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
0: Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them, and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of VOM Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.